So we just say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather together to hear your word. Thank you for, Lord, the joy that you give to us. We pray, Lord, that as you speak to us, Lord, that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, we thank you for Hampers of Hope uh, this week. Lord, especially all the volunteers and everyone putting things together to put those hampers together. We pray that you'd keep them safe. We pray, Lord God, that uh, the ways in which these hampers go out would be a blessing to all of the people uh, that receive these hampers and would be a tangible expression of your love and grace, Lord God. And Lord, through these hampers of hope, we pray that many would come to know you, Lord, and that they would be welcomed into a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you once again for Unionville Alliance Church and the ways in which even in this unique season, we can reach out to our community uh, and bless others through the love of Christ. We commit this time now into your hands, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every Christmas, I always say, or usually every December, I always say, it's Christmas, the best time of the year. Now, you might think, well, we're living through a pandemic. Is it really the best time? Well, you know, it started in, in March, right? So I think it's still Christmas. It's still the best time of the year, right? And it's, it's, a, way, it's a time and a season where we might not be able to celebrate as before, but we can still celebrate the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. I wanna thank every, uh, so many of you that are participating in our Bible reading plan. We have almost 80 people participating in our Bible reading plan and I'm loving just reading the comments, uh, the different ways in which you're responding uh, to the daily devotional and just hearing your thoughts and what God is speaking to you. So thank you for all those that are participating. And if you haven't, uh, if you're not participating, there's still a you know, about a week and a half left, so you can still connect uh, online and uh, through the YouVersion Bible app and read that uh, with us. And uh, it, you, I'm sure you'll be blessed uh, by the comments of various people and by the devotional as well. When you, when you think of, of joy in a, in a season of a pandemic, it sounds very paradoxical. Uh, when you think of the word pandemic, you think of uh, lockdown, isolation, loss of job, hopelessness, pain, virus, sickness, and, and even death, right? And when you think of joy, you think of something that's the complete opposite of that, right? You think of uh, something that is, is happy and something that is, uh, is very positive and the complete opposite of, of some of those things that I mentioned. But we need to understand really the difference between joy and happiness, See, happiness is a feeling that we can have that's derived from our circumstances, from our situations, from our experiences, and from people around us. The Lord provides us with, with opportunities for happiness in our life through friends and family, through great coworkers, through health uh, and healing and life, and so many different blessings that the Lord provides for us. But joy is something that goes much deeper than external relationships and situations and circumstances. Joy is not dependent on the external relationships. It's not dependent on our situation, not dependent on our circumstances, not dependent on what we are going through, but our joy is dependent on Christ, our relationship with Christ, what he's done for us, what he's promised us, and what he's produced uh, in us as well. Timothy Keller, um, said something very interesting when he was talking about uh, the ultimate joy and satisfaction in Christ. And he says, things like sex, 
power, money, and success, as well as favorable circumstances, act like spiritual sugar. Christians who have these spiritual candies may say, sure, I believe in God and I know I'm going to heaven, but they're actually basing their day-to-day joy on favorable circumstances. When the circumstances change, it drives us to God because when the sugar disappears, when the candy gets taken away, we're forced to pursue the feast that our soul really craves. We'll hunger for the spiritual nutrients we really need. And that's where joy comes into play. So many times where we're basing our our joy, or should I use the word happiness, on external situations, on those spiritual, just those candies, right? Those, those, that, that sugar that just lasts for a moment, but then afterwards fades away. In this Christmas, it might be very hard to find joy when we are living through a pandemic with all the restrictions that we have. Uh, but remember, joy is not based on our situations and circumstances, but on our relationship with Christ what he has done for us, promised us, and produced in us. Yesterday, Laura and I watched Charlie Brown Christmas. Anyone here, you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas? It's an old Christmas story dating back to, I think it was 1965, right? And, and in that, I don't wanna give it all away because it's only about a half hour long. You can watch it, right? It's fun. Um, in the classic there, uh, Charlie Brown is really disappointed. He's sad, he's upset right? Because he sees all around him and he sees that Christmas has become commercialized. Even his own dog, Snoopy, right? Takes on the commercialization of of Christmas. And, And Charlie Brown is really sad. He doesn't know what's the real meaning of Christmas. He's looking for happiness and joy. And I won't give away the rest of it, but Charlie Brown discovers through one of his friends the real meaning of Christmas. And I think in a situation and a circumstance that we're living in, in, in right now, it's actually beneficial and helpful for us that we just quiet ourselves and be able to spend time with the Lord because we can't spend time with a lot of other people during this season. And maybe in this season, the busyness of Christmas has left us a little bit because of the pandemic, because of the restrictions, and maybe we can go back to what the real meaning of Christmas is, and it's that the Savior Jesus Christ came into the world to die for us and give us hope of eternal life. And maybe in this Christmas season, we can take Christmas a little slower, a little quieter, with a little bit more meditation, with a little bit more thought towards our relationship with Christ, the real reason why he came into this world, right? So I wanna look back at the first Christmas story and see some experiences of joy that were rooted in Jesus. Not so much on the external situations, but rooted in Jesus and discover for us four things this morning of why we can be joyful during Advent, right? Why we can be joyful during this season. Number one is that the enemy is defeated, right? From the very first time the Lord promised in the Garden of Eden that he would send a Messiah, he would send a redeemer, he would send somebody to redeem humanity, from that very first time when he told the serpent in the garden right, that he was gonna send somebody and that person would crush the serpent's head. From that very first time, the enemy throughout all of history has been trying to foil the plan of God. The enemy has been trying to destroy what God wanted to do, right? From that very first time, the Lord promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that from their lineage, there would be a redeemer that would come for Israel. Through the time of the famine during Joseph's days, 
the enemy was trying to destroy Israel, to the attempted genocide during Esther, Queen Esther's days, to so many wars that happened with various kings, the enemy was always trying to ruin and spoil the plan of God to bring a redeemer from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The enemy was always against what God was trying to do to bring redemption for Israel and for all of humanity. The enemy was trying to eliminate Israel and thereby eliminate, eliminate the promised Messiah. And then we come to the Christmas story and King Herod is living and he hears about this new baby that is, that is born and he hears that he, this new baby is supposed to be the king of the Jews. And he was furious and he was angry and he wanted to find out who is this baby and he wanted to kill this baby, right? And here again we see the enemy at work against the plan of God, trying to spoil the plan of God, trying to ruin the plan of God, trying to destroy the Messiah. In Matthew 2 verses uh, 3 and 4 it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem talking about this Messiah being born, this baby. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? You see, he wanted to eliminate Jesus. He thought that if he did, he would continue to be king. And if he didn't, maybe there was a, a chance that he would no longer be king and this new Messiah would be king. But Herod was just thinking about himself and the temporary thing that could take place where he would no longer be king. But the enemy of our soul, the devil, was planning something even worse. He didn't want even Jesus to be king in the world. He didn't want Jesus to continue to exist. He knew that the son of God was born. He knew that the son of God came into this world. He knew that the son of God was fulfilling the will and plan of God the father. And so he was out to destroy Jesus. And the wise men, they were warned by the angels to stay away from Herod, not to go back and not to let Herod know what happened. And so in, the, in, in verse 16 of that chapter, it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And then the Lord war warned Joseph, the father of, uh, the, the husband of Mary, warned Joseph to take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt and to stay there until Herod actually died. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus, eventually after Herod died, came back to Israel to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken of Israel, uh, spoken of Jesus. So what's the importance of this whole story? Is that ultimately we can rejoice that God wins. Ultimately, we can rejoice and have joy in the fact that regardless of whatever plan the enemy puts out against us, whatever plan and purpose he might try to, to do to destroy Jesus, to destroy the Messiah, and even to bring destruction to our lives, Christ has the victory. And that's the blessing of the Christmas story. And that's what brings us great joy. There's great joy because we have victory, right? Psalm 118 and verse 15 says, songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're going through a hard trial today. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe there's sickness or feelings of isolation or pain or loss or sadness. Remember this, 
In Christ, there is victory. And there's a reason to have joy. Again, remember, our joy is not based on our external situations and circumstances. Our joy is not based on our external relationships, but our joy is based on Jesus and what he's done for us, what he's promised us, and what he's accomplished and produced in our lives. And one thing we should know is that the enemy is defeated. Whatever you might be facing today, remember that the enemy is defeated because Jesus has the final word. All throughout history, the enemy was trying his best to destroy that lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to destroy the people of Israel. Why? Because he knew that the Messiah was promised through that lineage. And finally, when Jesus was born, even at that time, the enemy was out against Jesus to kill Jesus. But we rejoice in this Advent season because Jesus was born, he grew up, and he died according to God's will and purpose to redeem us and give us a new opportunity. Even Paul, when he was in prison, when he was in chains, when everything was seemingly going wrong in a very physical sense around him, he was able to sing praises to the Lord, right? He wasn't happy because of his situation or circumstance because he was in a bad situation. He was in prison. He was in chains. But he was able to praise God and sing praises to the Lord. He was able to rejoice and joy in God, not because of his situations and circumstances, but because of his relationship with Christ. And I want to encourage you today. York Region is moving into lockdown tomorrow. Things are changing. We're living through such a unique season of this pandemic. The situations and circumstances around us are all changing. Maybe what we wanted to do for Christmas with our friends and family, those things are changing, right? This year, Christmas is not going to look like last year's Christmas. This year's Christmas Eve service is not going to look like last year's Christmas Eve service. Our, our situation now and in the, in the weeks to come is, is going to look very much different, and maybe it brings grief to our heart, but let me tell you that our joy should not be dependent on what's going on around us. Our joy should be dependent on what Jesus has done for us and our relationship with him because that never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus the same pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and post-pandemic. Jesus the same pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID. That's where we derive our joy from, from knowing and loving and worshiping and serving Jesus, our Savior. Number two, uh, oh, sorry, let me read this final verse here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. Jesus has the victory, not the enemy, not the devil, not whatever plan or purpose that the, the enemy might contrive against us, no. Jesus holds the victory, and we can rejoice in that. Number two is that the Lord will fulfill his word. Back to that first Christmas story. When Jesus was a small baby, he was brought into the temple by his parents because he was going to be dedicated. And an elderly man was there. His name was Simeon, and he came to meet them. And Simeon had waited his whole life to see the Messiah. And in his old age, God had promised to him and told Simeon, Simeon, you will not die before you see the Messiah, the promised one. And he waited and he waited. And on one particular day, when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus into the temple, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon Simeon and he came into the temple. And when he came into the temple, he saw Jesus. And what was his response? In Luke 2, it says, Simeon was there, 
he took the child in his arms and he praised God. He rejoiced in God. He joyed in God as Savior. And he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation. Remember that the word Advent means coming. And the coming of the Messiah was a fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy, dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So if you think you're waiting for a long time for a promise to be fulfilled, right? This was thousands of years. You know, like Abraham waited about 25 years. Moses waited about 40 years. Israel waited thousands of years until that promised Messiah. Simeon waited his whole life and finally in his old age as he came to the temple and he saw baby Jesus and he rejoiced in God. Why? Because every word of God will be fulfilled. Dear friends, let me tell you today, whatever the promises that God has given to you, whatever the good word of God that he has given to you, whatever promise that you are holding on to, don't lose hope, continue to hold on to it, rejoice in that word, because that word will be accomplished. That word will come to pass. Now, I won't say it might take a few thousand years, you know, like for Jesus, but it will come to pass, Right? Simeon's example to us is never to lose hope, but have joy in the promises of God. Simeon praised God, but look at, look, look at Simeon's reaction here. Simeon says, okay, now I've seen this baby Jesus, but tell me, did he see the full fulfillment? Did he see Messiah as king? Did he see Israel restored? Did he see... Uh, Jesus ruling and reigning and defeating all of his enemies? No. All he saw was a small little baby. How could you put hope into that? A weak child, no strength, no mind to make decisions. But Simeon hoped in God's word. And Simeon rejoiced in the promise because he saw and he said, okay, Lord, you told me that I will see your Messiah, and now because I have seen, I will also believe. And dear friends, for us today, we have a book filled with so many promises that we've seen so many of them already fulfilled. God has given us his word and has fulfilled numerous promises. Can we not hope in what he's already promised to us that it will come to pass? Can we not rejoice as Simeon rejoiced and says, yes, Lord, I know I have seen your Messiah. I know everything that you said will come to pass. What are you waiting for today? What are you hoping for today? What is the good word that God has promised to you? Remember, our joy is not based on our outward circumstances and situation. For Simeon, seeing that small little baby, Simeon could have thought, well, Caesar's still ruling over Rome. The army is still there. Israel is still subjugated. This problem and that problem, how in the world is this little baby going to accomplish all of God's word? Simeon didn't try to figure all of that out. All Simeon did was rejoice in the fact that that baby was born. And let me tell you today, let me encourage you today that God's good word is for you and it's for me. And we can hold on to those promises because they will be fulfilled. Let's joy in those promises. Let's rejoice in those promises because God has spoken, to, spoken them. It will be fulfilled.
In Psalm 119 and verse 162, the psalmist says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. The hope that we have in God's word, the joy that we have in God's word is like discovering a great treasure, knowing that every word will be accomplished. So just as Simeon rejoiced in seeing Jesus and found joy in God's promises being fulfilled in this season of Advent, let's remember God's promises. Let's remember his good word. Let's remember to joy in God. Maybe we haven't seen the fulfillment yet, but joy is not based on the fulfillment of everything. Joy is based on our relationship with Christ and that he said he'll do it so we rejoice. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. May God fill us with overflowing joy as we trust in him, as we trust that the word he has spoken will be accomplished. Number three, in difficult, hard, and impossible situations, we joyfully surrender to the will of God. This is how we can rejoice in the season of Advent. See, one of the central figures in the Christmas story, in the story that we remember in this season, is the mother of Jesus, Mary. Mary was put into a difficult, hard, impossible situation. But yet her response to that difficult, hard, and impossible situation is quite striking because she responds in complete, joyful surrender. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. It was an impossible, unwinnable situation that was exponentially worse because of the culture that Mary lived in. That she was a young girl with child, pregnant, out of wedlock, would have been despised. Even Joseph for a time wanted to put her away and not marry her because he saw that she was pregnant. Who would have believed her story? Put yourself in Mary's shoes and you're going around and saying, I'm pregnant, I'm, I'm still a virgin though. Who's gonna believe that story? She was put into an impossible, difficult, and hard situation, but her response was joyful surrender to the will of God. Keisha read the, the, uh, her response today in the scripture reading from Luke chapter one. It's Mary's song of response, how she rejoiced in God. She wasn't there to murmur and complain and say, well, why did you pick me and, and, and woe is me and can somebody else have this child instead? No, Mary's response was joyful surrender to the will of God. She said in Luke chapter one, how my spirit rejoices in God my savior. She said in verse 49, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. She wasn't lamenting her situation. She wasn't saying, can somebody else do this? She said, no, the mighty one is holy and he has done not terrible things to me, but great things for me. She praised the Lord. She rejoiced in God. Her joy was overflowing, so much so that she said, and from henceforth all people shall call me blessed. Not cursed, not tough, not difficult, not hard situation, but all people shall call me blessed. This is the response that Mary gave of joyful surrender if we look at it in a very literal, practical sense, she was put in an impossible situation. She was put in a hard situation that probably none of us would want. So let me ask you today, what are you facing 
that's impossible. What are you facing that's hard? What are you facing that's difficult? In this season of Advent, remember Mary and remember what she went through on that first Christmas and let's challenge ourselves to be able to react in the same way that Mary reacted. Not with murmuring and complaining and saying, woe is me, can somebody else do this? But with joyful surrender to the impossible situation, with joyful surrender to the hard situation, joyful surrender to the most difficult situations that we're facing in our life, let's follow the example of Mary from that first Christmas, from that first Advent, and say, yes, Lord, I joyfully surrender to you. The mighty one is holy and he has done Great things for me. What, you know what I want you to do right now? I want you to think, for everyone, it's, it's, it's separate and it's individual. Think of the hardest situation you're going through right now. Okay, I'll give you a second. The hardest situation, the most difficult situation you have in your life right now. Got it? Now look at this verse. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. I'm thinking about my situation here as well. I'm thinking about a hard situation, a difficult situation that I'm in as well. And I'm thinking, Lord, great things for me. I wouldn't really call it great. But do you know that God works everything together for good? And he can take the hard, impossible, difficult situation and work something out for good for you and for me, because the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Remember that first Christmas. Remember that first Advent. Remember the example that Mary has set for us in such a difficult situation that she was placed in. It's not easy, but she rejoiced. And that's the difference between joy and happiness, because it's not easy it's not about our emotions. It's not about our good feelings or even happiness because I'm sure Mary would have gone through some doubts and questionings. Mary would have wondered how was all this going to happen. She, in fact, asked the angel, how is this going to take place? And even in the process with so many people looking at her and wondering about her and even her own husband, it wasn't easy. But it's about realizing that our joy is rooted and based in our relationship with Christ and what he's done for us what he's promised for us, and what he's produced in us. Mary knew that she would be the mother of the Savior, and that produced great joy in her life. It's the privilege that we have of knowing, loving, and fellowshipping with Christ. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever granting me the joy of your presence. This is what Jesus does for us. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's not about all of those things. Yes, he gives us happiness in, in, in many other things, but joy is something much deeper that's deeply rooted in our relationship with Christ where we find pleasures in his presence forevermore. The last thing, number four, pretty simple here, right? The way we rejoice in this season of Advent the way we find joy in God in this season of Advent is because Jesus has come. That very simple fact is so powerful. Advent means coming. And the best and most important reason to rejoice in Jesus is because Jesus has come. We read about the wise men in the Christmas story, 
right? They saw the star in the east and they came to worship Jesus. Matthew 2, verse 9 and 10 says, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Another translation, I like it, it says, and they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they saw the star, why did they rejoice when they saw the star? Because the star was a symbol. The star was a fulfillment of a promise. The star was a representation that Jesus, the Messiah, had come to earth. The star showed to everybody, the Messiah is here. Jesus has come. It's a simple reason to rejoice, to be filled with joy in this season because Jesus has come. That's what the angel said when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2. Right? The angel speaking to the shepherd said, I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. The, the simple but powerful truth that Jesus has come and he is the reason for the season. My, my favorite Christmas song, which we're gonna sing at the end of this message, is Joy to the World. And the first line of that song, what is it? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's the most simple but the most powerful truth in the Christmas story that Jesus has come. And I want to tell you, if you're here today with us in person or if you're watching this online right now or even later on and you've never experienced the joy that Jesus brings, I want to invite you today to trust Jesus. I want to invite you today to surrender your life joyfully to him. Let him come the same way that he came into this world so many hundreds of years ago. The same way that he came in his first advent, he invites you, you into a relationship with him. In John 15 and verse 11, Jesus says his own words, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The joy that Jesus brings is not from this world. He's speaking here, if you look at the context of the verse, he's not talking about the joy of this world. He's actually talking about the joy that he had with him and his father. This eternal joy that was, that was, in, in, that was before all of creation that Jesus experienced. He said, I want you to experience that same joy that I had with the father not based on situations and circumstances, but based on our relationship with him. There's a small book in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Habakkuk. It's only just three chapters long. And we see that the prophet Habakkuk, he had a lot of problems, complaints against God. And so in this book, you read about a complaint and then God gives an answer and then Habakkuk gives another complaint to that answer and then God gives another answer. And finally, in, in chapter three is Habakkuk's prayer to God. And he ends this prayer with these verses that are somewhat familiar. You may have seen these verses before. It's, it's in a small book in the Old Testament. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Though everything is looking negative, though everything is looking bad, 
Though there's no prospective positive future ahead of us, yet I will rejoice in God. Clearly from these verses, we can all see that our joy and our rejoicing is not based on success around us. It's not based on prosperity around us. It's not based on things getting better around us. It's based on our relationship with God. I've changed this around a little bit. I'm calling this Daniel's COVID version, okay? Here's Daniel's COVID version of these verses. Even though we're in lockdown and there are no physical Christmas gatherings, even though I'm feeling isolated and distanced from family and friends, even though my Christmas celebrations are looking empty and barren, even though more people are getting sick and dying, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Friends, can we do that today? Even though everything around us is trending negative, though everything around us is looking bleaker and bleaker, there's a little bit of hope with a vaccine around the corner, but tomorrow York region's entering into a lockdown. This is the last in-person service that we're gonna be able to have for, you know, for a few weeks at least. And we've already lived through quite a number of months of social isolation, right? And people have lost jobs, people have been hit really hard. But in this season of Advent, remember that Jesus came to bring us joy. In the midst of this lockdown, our joy should be in Christ. I'm going to end just with the story of this lady named Virginia Prodan. She was born in Romania during the totalitarian regime of Nicolae Ceausescu, um, where even questioning the government at that time was cause for imprisonment, torture, and sometimes even death. She studied to be a lawyer and uh, ended up in a very unfulfilling job, just supporting the communist practices of that day. She went... Um, she was in a meeting uh, for more than one, she was meeting with one client in particular for more than one month, and she noticed his demeanor and his attitude. And she said this, this particular quote, this particular client never seemed to get discouraged. He always smiled, and he had a sense of contentment unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was as though he were somehow oblivious to all the misery that surrounded him. He radiated joy and peace, and for some reason, it troubled me. In a very difficult environment that they were in, in a totalitarian regime, right, she saw that this person had a joy that was very different. And she told him that she wished that she could be like him or have what he has. And he asked her, have you ever been to church? And she said, yeah, I've been there on Christmas and Easter, those two times. And then he invited her to come to church. And that was a risk for her as well. The, the culture of that day in that country was very anti-church. Christians were beaten, they were arrested uh, because uh, of the government. She thought, you know, I'm, maybe I shouldn't go. She hesitated. She thought that it might be a test. Maybe this was a government, of, a government official coming to try to test and, and prove her. But then she remembered his peace and joy and decided that it was worth the risk. So she came to church and she heard the gospel being preached. She heard the truth of the word of God that she longed for and that she wanted. And she said this, quote, for the first time in my life, everything made sense. I had spent years searching for the truth, but I'd been looking in the wrong places. Law school, the government, the justice system. 
I suddenly realized that truth was something that came not from law books, but from God himself, the creator of the universe, my creator, the source of all life, peace, and happiness. She accepted Christ and started living for him regardless of what it was gonna cost her. She began defending Christians as a lawyer. She began defending Christians uh, facing prison sentences for transporting Bibles, for sharing their faith, and even for worshiping in their own houses. She became a target and faced many threats um, because of what she was doing. She said, quote, I was kidnapped, bullied, pushed into moving traffic, and beaten by the secret police. For their own protection, friends and coworkers began keeping their distance. My faith was tested daily. Till one day, when she was in her office and a man came to meet her. This man was six feet, 10 inches tall. She was just under five feet. The man came and sat down across from her, pulled out his gun, and told her that she had failed to listen to the warnings given by the government and said, I'm here to kill you. She was terrified. She didn't know what to do. She said, quote, I was alone with my killer, and yet I was not. I began silent, fervent prayers, recalling God's promises. His spirit breathed peace into my panicked heart. Then I, sen then I sensed his message, share the gospel. And that's what she did. She shared the gospel with him. You can read the story in this book, Saving My Assassin. She wrote that book after her experiences. And that man gave his heart to the Lord. He ended up going to seminary. They kept in contact after that. It's the power of the Christmas story. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of that first advent of Jesus coming in to this world. It's the story of joy. If you, if you trace the story back, she's impacted so many people over her life, but it's all traced back to that one person that sat across from her and she looked at that man and said, you have some type of joy that I don't have. What is it? And that's the difference that Christ makes in our life and the difference he wants to make in us today and in this season of Advent. Singers, musicians, please come. We're gonna sing this song, Joy to the World. And in this season of Advent, let's joy and rejoice in the Lord, even in our most difficult circumstances and situations, because joy is not based on what's happening around us, but based on our relationship with Jesus. What he's done for us, what he's promised us, and what he's producing in us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let's sing.